I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Pablo, that's the nothing personal word of the day. It's a Samson sit down. Thank you for joining us for these mailbags and sit downs while I'm away. Lucky enough to have my friend and now someone I work with, Pablo Torre, back for you win, Pablo. You're the first person. This is your second Samson sit down. Wow. And and my first in person Samson sit down. Um, This is this is a dynamic that we'll have a lot of in New York, I think, as we construct our Meadowlark offices unless we both hate each other in the next 40 to 45 minutes. I would expect that not to happen, but I, I thought you were going to say in the next 40 to 45 days, which clearly would be from your mouth to God's ears. We don't know what's going on. What we do know is this wood? it's definitely not wood. Nah. This is Metalark. We're in yep. Miami. Yep. What I love is that we had talked about both joining Metalark, and we had been talking about it for a long time in our heads, what it would be like to work with Dan, what it would be like to have a show in the universe and what it'd be like to do it out of a New York studio. Yes. And everything was on schedule, ready to go, except the New York studio was not quite ready, but you've taken charge. Do you feel like you can build a stadium now? Because I, are you single-handedly doing the, doing the studio? I feel like I should be wearing a hard hat um, at all times at this point, because I've been in construction mode, but no, I, it, it, for a long time, and I guess that would mean like a couple of months. I did worry that it was just me wearing a hard hat constructing a studio. But no, we've been assembling a crack strike force of people in New York, David, who are helping me do something that I don't think the listeners of, of certainly your show and, and undoubtedly Dan's show actually appreciate, which is that when you're launching a new show from nothing, everything gets a little personal. <laughs> And you and are so, clearly launching. I want to make the audience understand you are launching a new show from nothing, from nothing, from a New York studio that at this moment does not exist. Um, I hope you exist, by the way. We've been hanging out uh, in Miami and your cough has been worrisome to me. I worry about you as part of our ongoing bond here. So just so you know how what's been happening for the last few weeks is we've been doing nothing personals. We've been doing the Levitard show. And I came in sick. And I've not been able to get better now you've been, because you've been there's no player. sunlight. You've been fighting through sickness in this... Uh, Petri dish. That's, that's a generous, a very, very generous, generous scientific term for what just feels like a bunch of people who are ill in a room together. Do you have a checklist of what we need in the New York studio? Because nothing personal is going to be filmed. Coca is coming to New York. Yes. We're all going to be Love in the New Coca. York studio. Hung out with Coca. Had my staff, as, as, as embryonic as it is, uh, hang out with Coca. All loved, all loved each other. So the checklist of team building, friendship, big check mark. But then it's like, software. And David, I have been informed uh, that talent 
I say this with scare quotes at all times, but talent is not normally sitting in meetings about software. But I have been in meetings about software. I've been in meetings about workflow, the boring shit that will not at all be discussed on my show once it exists. But to get to the point at which I can no longer talk about it, I have to perpetually talk about it because I'm trying to build something that that lasts. And I don't want to just bang this drum over and over again that Metal Ark has never built before. I sat in meetings during the building of the ballpark where sometimes I felt like a person sitting in on a meeting amongst surgeons talking about vascular surgery. So imagine sitting in a meeting where they're talking about rebar and foundation and things that you have to do when you're building a ballpark where I needed people around me who knew what they were doing and I needed to trust them and they needed to translate. I assume you're in the same position because they can talk software all they want. What do you know? I have felt Samsonian insofar as I am the guy sending emails that don't need to be sent, but I send them anyway because I am concerned that no one else will check this box about, hey, this, this black room that is not at all treated for sound, that is deeply echoey, we're going to like put foam in here, right? And I get back a sarcastic email, which is deserved because I'm being you in this case. And yeah, I am trying to check boxes that others are apparently seemingly already checking. I found it reasonable to make sure that we had bases. I believe <laughs> we, I got, we got bats. Anybody? We got bats here. Because to have a studio, you, it's your name. It's your show. Yes. And you made the decision to do this with Metal Arc. Again, starting from zero, which may not have been your best negotiation. No. Ever. No. And I feel like some people are already wondering, like, look, we all made podcasts over the pandemic. We're all making podcasts all of the time. You put on your camera on your laptop and you hit record, and congratulations, you are a podcaster. And what we're trying to do is more ambitious than that. It's trying to build a studio. It's trying to build a show that comes out three to four times a week, a show that takes on both the ambitions of pre-production with musical scoring and editing and narrative sensibility, as well as a show that can handle just a hang. Like, I sit down here with you today, not really sure what we're doing, but I love that, and I... I sample that every time I'm in Miami. So I'm trying to build a show that does both of these things, scratches both sides of my brain, as it were. And that requires more than just, here's a webcam, here's a USB mic, plug it in. Like we're, we're building a company. We didn't even get that when Coke and I started. We didn't even get a microphone. Because, I think it was, well, hey, turn the switch on, guys, because we hear that there's people listening to nothing personal. Well, you guys, you guys are in fact like, a show in a box. It's you and and you and Coco. Justin Timberlake. Yeah. My Timberlake. The vi the visuals on this are horrifying. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you guys, you guys do it in a way that allows you to take it wherever you want, which is portability, jealousy inducing. Because what I'm trying to do is plant roots and water that. Again, torturing the metaphors here, but like, yeah, watering the tree, allowing it to sprout and oxygenate the air and provide shade in this New York office that is full of, and I assume this is uh, not appreciated either in Miami, full of other human beings that are not characters on the Dan Lebitard show or even nothing personal yet, but are like other people that are trying to make stuff that will make this company a real company. Are you concerned about being Shel Silverstein? And the giving tree, like, do you picture yourself? Hey, it's just a stump. I've given you all I got, but you can now sit on me if you'd like. 
Because yeah. I feel like that's the kind of person you are, that you'll be company man, company man, company man. And all of a sudden you'll turn around and you will have built this behemoth. You will have gotten a studio done, which I is so. absolutely amazing. I hope Launched so. a show, helped guide the Levitard show, and then you turn around and you're a stump. I, 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 fear, I fear that someone will count the rings inside of me and they'll be disappointed by how long this thing actually lived for. Uh, I am... Uh, I'm glad that you're just validating that I'm not, you know, MLM, we discovered this on the show, also happens to stand for a multi-level marketing scheme. I'm glad that you're validating that at Meadowlark Media, that uh, I am not just, you know, scheming up stuff. I'm actually trying to put stuff into the ground. Which is pretty uh, noble, admirable, and has a great chance. It's one of those things where no true fiasco started as a quest for mere <laughs> adequacy. That's right. That's right. I, so far, am resembling the path of someone trying to launch like a spaceship. And and you don't want it to be a submersible. Ideally. 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 Shout out to Cameron Crowe because that's his line from a movie that no one's seen that I love called Elizabeth Town. And with Orlando Bloom, have you even heard of Elizabethtown? Love Almost Famous, love Cameron Crowe, never heard of Elizabethtown. New Jersey, is that the reference? I believe Yes, and I okay. believe it's his best movie. Wow. And Orlando Bloom and Kirsten Dunst, and it is about, and Alec Baldwin actually plays a, like, Phil Knight sort of character, and Orlando Bloom develops a sneaker, the sneaker goes bust, and it's what happens to him as a person when his whole life when his entire life was based on building a product from scratch. He tries to do it. He unveils it. <laughs> and all of a sudden it takes a big crap. So this is a concern. I, I come to Miami and I fill in for Dan and it's, and I, I say this adjective to you when we work together on Dan's show and I hope people take it the way that I mean it. I, I say that it's easy, not because it's easy to do to sit in Dan's chair. It's really hard and it's complicated and you're balancing all sorts of things. And I, I don't want to belabor that, but you get it. It's easy because it's not constructing something in the way that I am pouring my identity into it. It is something that I can do for fun. And yes, it's more tonnage, it's more hours, there are more moving parts, but it's not that. And so I am blessed by hours of relief in which my ego is in something else because left to my own devices in the negative space of nothing. Look, I, David, I went, when I left ESPN as a full-time employee, I was hosting ESPN Daily. I had hosted almost 700 episodes of it, five days a week. You know, you know the grind, I'm t of course you do. So I left that and needed to fill that empty space in my head, in my imagination with stuff. And I have been filling it with the designs of this sneaker spaceship tree, Multi-level marketing scheme. It could be great. That might be great. Might. Shh. Yeah, I'm, I'm, again. Here's the thing about, you, you're looking for wood. Yeah, that looks like it's that's fake. That's, that's balsa wood, wood. Yeah, that's, at that's best. Plastic. Anyway. I, we'll talk about your show a little later, but I want to make sure that people listening to this and watching what you're doing, there was some misunderstanding that when you first got to Metal Arc, you had disappeared a little bit because you had been on Dan's show for a bit and then were gone. Yes. And that was just bad PR by you because <laughs> you were not disappeared at all. People don't understand it's not just a microphone and a camera that you're putting on, that you are building uh, something and yeah. you want to hit the ground running. 
in a Hire place people. <laughs> for, which in and of itself is a minefield of crap Dude, within I, another company. So I felt, I mean, this is, this is, uh, I compliment to you. I have never been more staggered by what it means to have to manage people. And I have a small staff, but we have a staff, part freelance, part full-time and vetting those people, building a locker room. I find myself lapsing into sports cliches a lot, which is troubling as the guy whose whole brand is transcending sports cliches. They're very handy. But they're handy because I'm talking about a locker room and chemistry and culture and all of these things that start as, eh, that's bullshit, actually end up manifesting in ways that remind me of what it means to lead a team. You're going to have to be careful. And I'll, uh, one word of advice to someone who's managed people for decades, there comes a time where you have to evaluate if some, when there's a slump happening, yeah. you have to assign various blame percentage wise that I hate saying percentage wise for age 69. You have to assign blame. Is it to you? Is it to the show? Sure. Is it to the people? Is it to the concept? Are you not getting the right PR, the right marketing? And when you're managing people, the last person who you are going to assign blame to is you. You'll give yourself the smallest percentage because that's the ego and that's the C-suite, which you are off camera. You're running your own company within Metalark. Yes. Are you ready to make the decisions required that aren't software related? They're not foam related. They're how do I make the best show I can make every day? Do I need more people, more resources, different people? Yeah, that moment is going to come. Oh, I, I, I aspire to be clear-eyed when it does. But for me, I have already failed one test because you're right that the PR around what I've been doing so bad in reality has been deliberate and bad. So deliberate, so I'll start with bad. Bad in the sense that I have to explain <laughs> it now. And you pointed out accurately that I haven't been explaining I'm doing X and Y and Z. Everything I've said to you already, I have not said publicly. And it's been deliberate because the way that my brain works is not only do I not want to jinx things, I want to set the bar publicly on the floor and then lightly hop over it. I'm not here to, to proclaim I figure. I hope that's clear, by the way. That is both deliberate and also genuine. I have not figured shit out, but I have a plan. And we're going to find out if this plan works. I don't like it. I don't like planning for mediocrity. I'm not planning for mediocrity. Why I'm are you just, saying that you would just want to step over the bar? Be, simply because to proclaim that the bar is here is to indicate that I have already figured out the stuff that is in between the bar being five feet off the floor and on the ground. And I'm just telling everybody, Metal Arc Media should be evaluated by a limbo bar that is subterranean. It should be at the mantle of the earth. That is what I want people to expect so that when I lightly hop over it, you will proclaim victory and a torn hamstring. It will feel like I've been launched into space successfully. You're not nailing this point because <laughs> the, the essence of the bar on the ground theory is that it also puts a limit as to how high the bar can ever go. Because so this is an interesting psychological spatial. counterpoint I had not considered. Proceed. I would like you to consider the fact that when you set the bar high, and then you get over it. 
you are looked at in a much different way in terms of loyalty, in terms of revenue, than if you set the bar low and then get over it with room to spare. Then people question, wow, he did not believe in himself. Why would I believe in him either financially or with my time? And what we're bidding for in our business is time, people's time. Do you remember Susan Boyle? Is she the woman who did the commercials or? American Idol. Yes. Right? I believe her name is Susan Boyle. I want to Susan Boyle this shit. Is that the same as the Jamaican bobsled team? Is that the equivalent? I would love to cool runnings this shit as well. Eddie the Eagle? Was he the ski jumper? I believe so. Okay. Did that one go well? No. Do you want it to go well? I can't figure out. No, no. So the Susan Boyle thing is as much as I do want to establish the depth of my ambition. And believe me, anybody who has met me in real life over the last Cosine. five months has heard me articulate in ways that are too detailed what I'm trying to do. I've fallen into a rabbit hole is not a sufficient metaphor anymore. It is a, it's a colony. It's, it's an underground city that I have been sort of like contemplating of, of various obsessions, concerns, anxieties, plans, et cetera. But the Susan Boyle thing is it's American Idol. The public podcast downloaders are uh, YouTube viewers are Simon Cowell. And out comes Susan Boyle, and they're like, oh, this old lady, nothing. She's got nothing. And this dumpy lady blows him away. With like butterflies coming out of her mouth, with her music and her and her voice. Revelatory. But you're not Susan Boyle. You're already coming from a place where you were doing smart, good shows that were very popular, and you're already still doing things on ESPN. So I don't, I'm, help me again with how you're Susan Boyle, who no one had heard of. Prior to her walking on the stage. I felt like the last three months have been me, Susan, boiling. I'm just like trying to, I'm not, I'm not out on center stage. I'm, 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 whatever I'm doing, I want people to actually wonder on some level if they wonder like, what? <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> because what's going to happen, David, what, what's going to happen is and this is where I am. I don't want to. I, I, I'm by even discussing this. I am violating the principles I'm describing. But what's going to happen is that yeah, I'm going to come out with some shit, and I want people to be like, how the fuck are they doing this? Because for me, the degree of difficulty of what we're trying to make is significant, and I am proud and confident that yeah, we're gonna Fosbury flop this shit, which is again a troubling verb. But I just want people to know that Fosbury flopping was an actually revelatory way of high jumping. The thing about Metal Arc, which people may not understand as the overall company that is has the Dan Levitard show, has a, another show, you know, Nothing Personal is there. Yes. Off the Wall is there. Off You're, the Looking Glass. Off, off the Looking Glass and the new show with the meme. Oddball. Oddball. I just mixed up two you shows. You just made- I don't know. Did I make it one show? You made I someone in Metal Arc, Michael Jackson. That is not good. Well, there are many candidates. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. 
And that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What Metal Arc does with its content, whether it's scripted, whether it's unscripted, as building a media company, having you as a part of it was a crucial piece to their puzzle. And I started a few moments before you did. And I don't know if you're privy that you're, although maybe you are because of the ease in which you were onboarded, is that your ability to set the bar high, whether it's sitting in Dan's chair, whether it is figuring out whether the, the walls are padded or whether it is coming up with your own show. The reason why you're here is the belief that you can do it. And what I've heard from some executives at Metalark is, Wow, it'd be nice if he believed in himself as much as we believed in him because you're boiling it so well that there's a concern. Oh, no. Is this a problem? And so you've put me in a position knowing that it's not a problem, that this is your theme, to actually have to say to those who give me that objection, don't worry, we're all okay here. Yeah, I mean, look, this is the thing about a stage to me is that I don't like... I so as a as a fan of sports, I love a good ring walk. You know, when boxers will walk out to the ring and they have music, they have the entourage, they are lifted, processed like a pharaoh. Love that shit as a fan. Hate it as a person. As much as I am supposed to be the person who is waving Metal Arc's flag every step of the way towards the ring, what I really want to do is as I've described, which is show up and knock some shit out. Wait, but you want to, so you want to be the one who comes up through the stage, through the stage. Yes. You get lifted up. I think Michael Jackson may have started a concert that I'm way. I'm Michael Jackson, or it two. turns out. You want yeah. to just be lifted up and then you're there. And then the show fucking starts. Look, man, it's funny when we talk about this entirely in terms of PR, right? Because what I, what I am trying to do is care entirely about this thing that's going to launch, not about the interim. It's tough because you are in a position where you are looked at as someone who should care about a lot of things. Sure. And I think about that too, as as being formerly in baseball and now doing this show and having this platform and the responsibility that I feel every day to talk about issues. I love the dumb stuff and I also love the serious stuff. And It is unique in our business, and I can say this tooting your horn, 
it's unique to be able to travel in both circles. And both circles are important and they're very, very different. They are. They're not, there's very little actually interlap of the circles of serious versus dumb journalism and joking versus serious yeah, the issues. high and the low. So you're looked at as someone, as an opinion influencer, an opinion maker, an opinion haver. When things come up like what the Supreme Court a month ago yeah. with affirmative action, you are out there as a Filipino American. I can call you that. That's, That's I assume fact. you call yourself that. That's yeah. a fact. Where things that happen in the Philippines, you are, hey, what does Pablo Torre think about sure. this? Sure. When things that happen in the Asian community, what does Pablo Torre think about this? When you watched the Supreme Court change its makeup and tilt conservatively, before even the public understood what that meant in terms of Roe v. Wade, what it meant in terms of affirmative action, did you realize that you were about to be on the clock, that there were issues that were coming down the path that you were going to have to explain to people? Yes. And I have been also delinquent in not actually, again, getting on a platform and pointing out that like I have insight into all sorts of this stuff, right? So for instance, like my interest in college was to go to law school, was to eventually become a Supreme Court clerk, which a number of my friends wound up being because they are brilliant and, and successful. And I'm glad that inside of that institution, there has been a pipeline of people going to schools like Harvard and so on and so forth. You can say it, just say yeah. No, but- You won't even say uh, it? Will you uh, say Wisconsin? Uh, I love Wisconsin. Do you just say Harvard? When you list the good schools, do you stop at Harvard? That is pompous. I don't even think about what I haven't said because it's just obvious that when I say that, I'm, I'm, I'm hopefully clearly joking. No, but... <laughs> not clear at all. So when you're listing schools- Harvard you, dot, dot, dot. You, yeah. Everyone yeah, else yeah, is dot, are, dot, yeah, dot. Yeah, there are okay. lots of dots in there though. Dot, 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 dot. Okay. I, I, I happen to think that Yale, Wisconsin are not dots. I happen uh, to think that Harvard's not one either, and I'm okay enough. The board I sat on at Yale had a oh, Harvard professor on it. Very good. How great is that? He had gone to Yale and is now a Harvard professor and sits on a board at Yale. I hate how insufferable this has become. <laughs> but to answer your question, like I have thought quite a bit about the Supreme Court. I've visited. I've shot hoops on their basketball court. I've gotten a tour of that place. They have the highest court in the land. It's an amazing It's inspiring, thing. isn't it? It's inspiring. Have you been there for an argument? No, it's, never have. It's incredible. No, it's I, absolutely I, incredible. I, I say all of that to say that I nerd out on this shit, right? And so, yeah, all of this, like in, since high school, I've been reading Supreme Court decisions. I have been studying and have certainly studied less since I did this as my profession. But yeah, when affirmative action came around, for instance, uh, I, I, I read and watched with not just academic interest, but personal interest. But also understanding that it would be part of, you would be looked to for an opinion, or did you do it solely out of self-interest? Solely because I needed to know how I felt about this. Like these are not simple issues. They are complicated. Can if they make explain? the Supreme Court by definition, they are complicated. Anybody who's just otherwise is being dishonest. I would like to introduce this topic, and we've talked about it on Nothing Personal, and I try to tackle issues like this, and I try to not give my opinion. I want people to be informed. 
on both sides and then to come to their own conclusions. And I think that information to me is the king. It is the key. It is it is the the alchemy that makes the world spin properly. And when information bad in, I had an expression, bad in, bad out. If I get bad information mm. about something going on with the building of a column to that will hold up a roof, I'm going to say, sure, that column will hold up the roof. And then the roof comes tumbling down. David, you should have known. No, I couldn't have known that. So getting information to people about the Supreme Court, its importance, how politicized it is, why that could matter. And then we get a case like affirmative action, which to me has become maybe the single most misunderstood and controversial opinion that has come out as a result of the switch to a conservative justice majority. When you are reading the opinion, do you separate yourself as Asian, as Filipino, or do you read it? Because that this case is about affirmative action and people are saying it's over, no more affirmative action. And then you were on the plaintiff's side. Well, uh, uh, yeah. You meaning the collective? Yes. You. The, my racial demographics was on the pl people. When you tell people that, it blows their mind. Well, this is how I read it. I read it as an Asian American, not simply because I see everything through the lens of race. No, I can take the glasses on and off. Right. Like I try to understand the world from all sorts of perspectives in a real genuine way. That sounds trite, like a locker room cliche. I mean it. But I opt into those glasses here because when you read the decision through the lens of an Asian-American perspective in which the case has been brought by Asian-American plaintiffs, you are staggered by how little Asian-Americans are mentioned in the dissent. Or, so not only in the dissent by Sotomayor, this went across, if you look at what Justice Roberts wrote in his majority opinion, and you actually break it down, what people are most concerned about is themselves. And, and I'm okay to say it. I hope you're okay to hear it. I am okay with human nature being fundamentally selfish, <laughs> that unfortunately. Is, how will this impact my ability to either get a job, get into school, my kid's ability? What do we do? What's the workaround here? Was a big part of this Supreme Court decision. It gave the path to the workaround. Oh, Justice 100%. Roberts gave it. And I am not, I do not agree with everything that any Supreme Court justice says. But in this case, I did agree with Justice Roberts and what he was doing because he gave the way to tell everyone it's going to be okay. So I should be clear about what I mean when I say that I read this as an Asian American and noticed things that were disappointing as an Asian American, because you're raising a point that I want to get to right off of this. Because what I noticed, David, was simply that it didn't feel like enough of the Supreme Court and certainly the news media and the commentariat and so forth, America, it didn't feel like they even thought about the plaintiffs <laughs> because it immediately switched to how does it affect black people, African-Americans, white people, whoever they were. And it was in that way poetic because the entire case brought against affirmative action was about a demographic of people, Asian-Americans, who had been erased and even worse than that, reduced on the merits because they were disposably boring, basically. Like at Harvard, I went to Harvard again, just to reiterate how insufferable I am. 
Like it is undeniable that there was a bias against Asian American applicants on the level of this personal score. The personal score being the thing that was the justification for why Asian American applicants um, rated lower in the admissions process, which resulted in people with great academic credentials being admitted at a rate that was lower than other groups. But more than that, it was a case of, to me, like not something that I wanted to celebrate. Like I didn't read this case, even though the Asian Americans won and said, yes, we fucking did it. Like, yeah, it's, no, that's not how I reacted to this. I believed that affirmative action was essentially a flawed, deeply flawed system of redress that was not really redressing the actual ills it sought to solve, the actual systemic racism that had resulted in the descendants of slaves being given a real handicap, not just in American society, but in all the ways that then trickled down to college admissions. Resulting, what affirmative action was supposed to do was redress that. Yes. It was meant to actually acknowledge what had happened and say, now we're gonna change it and make it so it is still affirmative action, but now reversed. Yes, affirmatively helping this demographic in particular, not the only one, but just the one that is so clearly in America disadvantaged historically in ways that are undeniable as well. And what it did instead was create a system that did not actually elevate those people. It elevated boxes that got checked to make it seem like those people were being helped, that those injustices were, were redressed, but instead elevated, you know, wealthy kids, the, uh, the children of immigrants from African countries. First gens. And by the way, I'm a first generation American. I'm not here to say that. Oh, look, my point is simply that it didn't do what it set out to do, period. And then when it went away, it wasn't like, oh, thank God, everything's fixed. Now it's going to be fine. Because my view on what college admissions should be is more complicated. I mean, I believe that college is college is a place where an admissions department should be crafting a class. They're casting directors. They, they are, view themselves that way. Actually. Yes. So I worked, at, I mean, not in any sort of decision-making capacity, but I worked as a file clerk for the Harvard admissions department in college as a freshman for a semester. Did I, you see applications? I needed a job. Yeah, of course. Did you have people call you say, hey, can you pull my application? No, because I was somebody who abided by the rules. Oh, that's <laughs> no help. I had all of this access and did nothing with it. I mostly was like, ooh, what did Ryan Fitzpatrick get on his SATs? <laughs> we'll never reveal it, <laughs> you, but I Matthew know Matthew Broderick in War Games. That's the what most you're using sad the computer. <laughs> Matthew Broderick. Um, but anyhow, so I did that, and then I did some interviews for Harvard as an alum, in which the soft factors of a personal evaluation are meant to be a thumb on the scale. I don't do that anymore. I might in the future. I don't know. What was your rate of acceptance? Do you happen to recall? It wasn't high because I did it in Manhattan and all of these it's, kids. It's low. I mean, oh yeah, it's a meat grinder. You're doing it and there's no- Everyone's impressive. And you write a letter after you do the interview. About how impressive you, they are. Exactly. And they're getting letters. It's coming into minor league baseball and saying, hey, I can hit home runs. So can every single person in this locker room. So this informs my view on what college should be, which is that there are lots of kids who can do the work. 
And so my belief academically is you must set a bar that is rigorous and high, but above which we should be prioritizing other things as well. So once you can establish that these kids who get in can do the work, can hang academically, then you need to craft a class that helps prepare these kids for life. And that means being a diverse class, racially, geographically, socioeconomically, which is such a profound, and again, this is now getting into something that people are familiar with probably, but it's true, socioeconomics underrepresented as a concern inside of these admissions meetings. When you are putting together a class, and this is what I was trying to get people to understand, and you touched on it, it's the casting, they're casting a show. A reality year. show. It's a re that's that that's is it. the most competitive cutthroat reality show in American history. Ask the people trying to get on Survivor. There are people who have, and I'm not just saying it's like I got on Survivor, there are people who have been applying for 20 years. These people have been applying since before they were conceived. But you only get to apply once. Yes. You only get to apply once to Harvard. Other shows you get to apply over and over and over, which makes this so tough to do. And also, if you're on Survivor and you've been a super fan your whole life, it's probably unlikely that your parents were hoping. It's unlikely that your parents came to America for you to be on Survivor. And so to me, again, the Asian American lens, right? My parents came to America for me to get an education. But not at Harvard. But that was their dream. Certainly. When they came to America, their dream was Harvard. It wasn't like- Versus, I, versus Yale or Wisconsin I or wasn't, Stanford. Certainly not Yale. Um, no, I, I didn't get like a bonnet that said future Ivy Leaguer, but they wanted me to get the best possible education. And so my entire grade school, high school, college- all the way through was about how important it is to study, to get good grades, because that was- Would you have disappointed them if you didn't get into Harvard? No, but it was such a source of pride because it meant that we made it. They came from- And now look another, at you. <laughs> And now I'm fucking disappointing Meadowlark media executives and my parents. Every step of the way. Completely. You went to Harvard, and this is what you and do this is what in a zipped-up sweatshirt. The Susan boiling it, schleppy. Susan boiling it, um, trying to oh, get over a bar too. that's on the Realizing floor, that. and um, your parents are saying, "Do they say actually what was their reaction when you joined Metalark?" Oh, they were confused. <laughs> Dan was the guy who had made fun of the dress code of my wedding uh, on his show. And at the wedding was the, I mean, look, I, in all seriousness, confused insofar as they were like, is this a good idea? Like you work at ESPN. And I said, well, I can do TV at ESPN still. I can do PTI around the horn, but I, but the future is in digital and I can own, I can partially own this company. Did they feel like you had transferred from Harvard to Wisconsin? Was that sort of in, was you really There worried? was a university of Phoenix aspect to this. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, but look, the reason I give that whole background is because I came to America carrying this mandate of go and try your best. And the path to success in American life is through education. And so too has been the mission statement of countless. And this is where some aspect of the stereotyping is true of Asian Americans. 
So too is it true of countless Asian Americans who saw education and getting good grades and acing the SAT as not just useful, but existentially significant. But how tough is it for you when schools are taking away the SATs as a marker or some of the places where maybe the extra studying, the extra ability, the extra intelligence, whatever it is, advantage you thought, the playing field in theory is being leveled. COVID was used to expedite that leveling of the playing field. How do you react to that, both as an Asian American and as a spokesperson for everything else you represent? Yes. So, look, I don't love the SAT. I studied my ass off for it, took it twice in an attempt to get the best score I could, took it as seriously as humanly possible. I did not think at the time or now at any point that it was like the perfect or even the ideal way of measuring intelligence. No one ever asked you, hey, what'd you get in your SATs? I, I hope. Do not. you know what you got in your SATs? I don't remember specifically. I do not either. Whatever. Good enough, right? Good enough. And so the point of like the SAT to me was not finally a fair objective standard. It was just the thing you had to take. I didn't have affection for it. I hated it. But I just knew I had to destroy it. <laughs> and so for me, it going away, great. I just hope that it's replaced by a rigorous standard that does not allow the gaming of it in ways that the SAT was also, to be clear, quite gameable. Prep all courses, rigorous all standards are gameable. So your desire and wish here, you have a problem right from the jump. So this speaks to the imperfections and the impossibility of making a truly ideal casting decision. It can happen. Because there is no mathematical standard that everyone will abide by or agree on. There is no criterion that is like to me i guess publicly obvious it's going to and that's the whole point of an admissions department right it's not just that you're assembling a class like a reality tv show cast you're arguing amongst yourselves on the committee tooth and nail for the kids you think are most deserving it's supposed to that be actually happens it's like a fraternity almost where they put your name on the board and if you get tomatoes thrown at you. Oh, yeah, And that's how, that's how reality shows are cast. I was a part of casting of Survivor. I watched how they did it. It's unreal how they put their show together. And you don't get it as a contestant, much like as a student when you apply, whatever you put in the color bar, whatever your essay says, whatever travails you've had to go through, you don't know if you're pressing the right button at the right moment for that particular school. There's no way to know. Yeah, and you're arguing, and it reminds me too of a front office, right? Like you're arguing about draft picks. Who's going to make it? Who's worth it? Who's better than you think? Who deserves a shot that their resume does not suggest? And you may get a president or you may get Pablo. Correct. So this is, and you both, both people came in to Harvard yes. with the same expectation. Dude. President, Pablo. We don't know which. It's the draft. I, I mean, in my class, by the way, which speaks to the difficulties of... <laughs> Like, what's going to change next, right? Legacy admissions. I went to school with the descendants of literal presidents. I was classmates with people who are running currently for president. Like, this is not just a figure of speech. It is it is actually the case. And so this is why I take... So this larger question of like, but isn't this institution, Harvard University, like all of these institutions, aren't they just rackets, right? That are like trumped up ways of- Pun keeping, not intended. 
trumped up ways of pun intended there uh, <laughs> of keeping power inside of a of a closed circle that perpetuates itself and charges insane prices and actually mostly exists for the enrichment of itself. And to that, I say, that's a good take. <laughs> like heart, it's it's a good take, but it's actually not. You know this. That's not exactly how it works. No, but the people but, who pay full price, and I'm sensitive about this because people misunderstand Harvard and Yale specifically. You don't graduate Harvard and Yale with debt. If you can't afford tuition, it's paid for you. Yes. And so people who come in first generation, and I mean first generation, no college degrees in the family. Yeah. From countries outside of the U.S. You don't walk out with $200,000 of debt that has to be paid back by Biden 10 grand at a time. Robust and that's financial aid for. programs. They don't have academic scholarships, as all Ivy Leaguers like to point out all the time. But they do have need scholarships are way need, better. And, and that's the most important part. And so I commend them for if your household as an applicant makes X, I forget what the standard is now, but if it's below that, you pay nothing. And that is exactly what it needs to be. But that's why the question of who gets in is so imperative is because there have to be people who get in who can pay full and to to finance the people who get in who can't pay full. And then you use part of the endowment for capital because you want to keep the building going, the structure going, the beast going. But Harvard, to be accused as a Yale, I would never, I'm not a Yale, I'm a parent of Yale. Yes. I would never accuse Harvard of trying to stop progress or to perpetuate stereotypical progress. They're doing the opposite. So this, this is a funny thing about being both the embodiment of liberal snowflake culture uh, the academic lounge at Harvard, while also being the place that produces presidents and all of this stuff, because everything you've said, I feel, but also the endowment. I mean, dude, it's 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 a it's it's a multi bazillion dollar. So Harvard can afford all of it if it wanted to. The point is, there should be pressure and scrutiny on who they let in, because at the end of the day, despite all of those objections, where I net out is it matters. It's important. It has impacts on society. I have great fondness for that place. I do. And I have fondness because I believe that it can change lives. And that's why the stakes are actually worth arguing about. And I feel as though from the position you're in that you can change lives too. So it's very clear that what when you've got a microphone and a platform, the responsibility that we have, many people, and, and you poo-pooed it earlier in this show, hey, all you need is a computer and a microphone and turn on and you've got yourself a podcast. That That worries me. Because I need people to take their platform seriously, which you, is something you, we've talked about. You are never going to Susan Boyle. No, I will never do that because it's too important what we do. There's too much of an opportunity for someone to listen to the, what you're saying and to then act on it. But I just want to make something clear to the uh, executives who are worried about me, parents included. When I get on that stage, I'm going to sing my fucking heart out. And that's what's going to matter. It's not me wearing a hoodie in my ring walk, it's me showing up, doing a bazillion shows, and you ultimately saying to yourself, I'm glad we brought this kid to this country. It's so awesome. Well, I'm glad that you're a part of it. I love the fact that we get to talk every day. People Same. don't realize we don't publicize it hours a day, thinking about what we're doing, taking it seriously. All the time. <laughs> and that, to me, uh, matters because it shows that uh, we care as much as the audience does. And that's all I ever wanted from players. Just care. Just care as much as I do. Pablo Torre, we can't wait for your show. You're going to promote it at some point. www.pablo.show. I waited till the very last moment to say the thing, but please go there. You'll find out what I'm actually doing. You win.
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.